Father in heaven, thank you for a new day. Um, thank you for grace that, that uh, is new every morning. Thank you um, that your love and your mercy goes ahead of us, um, uh, not behind us, and that uh, everything we have comes from your, uh, your, uh, your mighty right hand. And we pray now as we uh, gather again uh, that you would feed our, our hearts and our minds. Teach us, uh, we pray, to be faithful disciples of Christ. Pour your spirit on us to that end, we pray. Um, in his name. Amen. Okay, well, welcome to the, the penultimate session on our Adam and Eve in Exile Sunday School, this series thinking about uh, what it means to be men and women. And these last two weeks, and this week and next week, uh, we're just going to come back one last time to think kind of big picture about men this week and then women next week. Um, the danger is, if, you, if you've sort of missed various steps along the way, that some of this stuff will, might therefore come as sort of out of context. Um, so th- this really is the kind of, the, if you like, the, the capstone, the sort of summing up of where we've, where we've been before. Um, so I'm not going to have time to kind of justify absolutely everything along the way, because that's kind of what we've been doing over the last few weeks. Um, let me just do a brief summary to try and sort of make sure we're on the, on the same, roughly on the same page. We've seen very obviously men and women are made in the image of God. Uh, and therefore, fundamentally, men and women are equal in value, dignity, significance, usefulness to God in his plan for the world, um, and all that. Um, we've also seen that equal doesn't mean interchangeable. Okay, so that there's, no, <clears throat> there's no difference in value, but they're not, they're not just some switcheroo. You can't change them in and out. Men and women are made men and women. Um, it's probably fair to say, on the whole... Our society leads towards denying the difference. Uh, transgender would be a real extreme example of that. Um, but even without that, the kind of if you look at the way um, society treats men and women, there's obviously a very strong push to say, basically, it doesn't make any difference what gender you are. You, you know, just do whatever you like kind of thing. There's no, there's no difference. Um, and that, that is a strong change from a historical position, obviously. Um, uh, yeah, in all sorts of ways. Uh, we saw too, right back in Genesis, this, this idea of complementarity is, is woven into creation. Okay, sun and moon go together, um, land and sea, earth and sky, um, night and day. The whole of Genesis 1 is this kind of complementary um, setup, pairings, complementary pairings. And so it's not a surprise when we get men and women um, as a complementary pairing too. And we've also seen as we've gone through that actually that Genesis um, 1, 2, 3 section um, is absolutely crucial. Time and time again, that the patterns that are established there, although they're not spoken as actual laws, okay, so there's no laws, no, there's no um, marriage must be male and female stated in that kind of command way in Genesis 2, for example, but, but very obviously, the rest of the Bible takes the pattern as binding. So Jesus, when he's asked about marriage, refers back to that pattern um, to talk about marriage. Or Paul, when he's addressing issues of church and leadership and that sort of thing, goes back to that pattern. Who's made first? How do, you know, all the rest of it. So although there are no rules stated, it is very obvious the pattern um, is, is very significant. And, and so... What we're trying to do is think about the differences. There's loads that are the same about men and women, obviously. Um, but we're, we're focusing, I suppose, on the differences, the particular callings of men and women. 
And today, therefore, when your son says, Daddy, what does it mean to be a boy? What kind of things are we saying? So let's think a bit about, about masculinity. Uh, one final time on Adam. Uh, these are some of the things we saw that are um, significant to that pattern. They get picked up elsewhere in the Bible, some of them at least. Um, he's created first. Okay, Adam first, then Eve. Remember, Paul comes back to that a couple of times in the New Testament. He's created from the soil, from the ground. Remember, Eve is taken from Adam's side, but Adam is made from the ground. And his name, Adam, um, is, is related to the word for the, the soil, the earth, the Adamar. So there's a tie between Adam and the earth. That's a very, a very sort of direct tie. He's created outside the, the garden sanctuary, the garden home. And he is given the command to work and guard the garden, or work and keep it, depending on your translation. Eve isn't alive at this point. She should not be made. And therefore, there is this orientation of Adam towards the work-keep commands. Not that Eve can't do that at all. We'll come back to that next week. Um, but, but if you like, that is his posture, his leaning. And that is why when, when everything goes wrong and sin enters the world in Genesis 3, that the curses on work are given to Adam, not to Eve. Uh, and the other way around, the curses on family given Eve, not Adam. Does that mean that Adam does nothing in the family or the marriage and Eve does no work? Well, no, of course not. But again, in terms of kind of leanings, postures, that is the way they're orientated. And so here we go. <coughs> um, wh- what do we see about men, therefore, throughout, um, particularly Genesis 1 through 3, and the kind of um, the plant that grows from those seeds? Well, I think you can say these things. A man looks to lovingly lead, protect, and provide for those women he's called to serve lead, protect and provide now let me say a couple of cautions straight away and then we're going to walk through that definition and we've got a few discussions um, this isn't everything a man is meant to be obviously so a man oh, it's not even the main things a man's meant to be so a man obviously is meant to be someone who trusts Jesus a man is meant to be someone who prays a man is meant to be someone who fights sin a man is meant to be someone who worships there's a thousands of things you could say um, but obviously lots and lots of things you could say about a man you could also say about a woman okay. so I'm not, I'm not I'm focusing deliberately on the distinctive things or the more distinctive things rather than the things that are common to our humanity okay, so please don't hear this as everything it means to be a man um, because there's all sorts of stuff it means just to be a human being that we're not thinking about today and secondly, just by way of clarification, when you start defining, therefore, what does it mean to be a man or a woman, it's necessarily going to be kind of oriented to the opposite sex, okay, because you're focusing on the distinctions. Um, it's a bit like if someone says, you, you know, what is a father? You can't answer the question without talking about children. Um, you know, what is a parent? You can't explain what a parent is without explaining what the, kind of the other half of the, the kind of pairing is, children. So similarly, what is a woman? You can't explain without reference to man and, and vice versa you can't really explain what a man is without reference to, to women because they are this complementary pairing so we're going to walk through this this little sort of sentence um, think about what it might mean for us today and again a few discussions along the route uh, a man looks to loving lead looks to this is as I say about a, a posture if you like a calling not on the whole a set of absolute rules the world is a mess. Sin has ruined everything. Um, things don't run smoothly. And so th- 
almost anything you say, you'll be able to think of a, yeah, but what about if kind of scenario? Because the world's a mess. Okay, so we're, we're not trying to... Um, we're not trying to put hugely sort of dogmatic rules in the ground that are absolutes and can never be changed. Um, there are a few of those. There are some of those. Um, church leaders are meant to be men or whatever it might be. But, but this is about a kind of leaning to, a, a looking, a posture, if you like. And I've also used that word looks to because it, it's, I think men are meant to be active. Okay, eyes open, not passive, waiting to be forced into action or coerced. But there's a kind of a, a, a readiness. There's meant to be a readiness to them. So a man looks to lovingly lead. Lovingly is, is important there. Um, leadership is always sa- is Christ-like, isn't it? Uh, it's sacrificial, therefore. It's leading is for the benefit of others, not for the exploitation of the power of the one leading. Um, so we're not talking about dictator dads who, who think that they just issue commands and everyone should obey. Um, uh, or think authorities about getting their own way and everything. Um, or husbands who think, well, I'm the head of the marriage, so why would I bother discussing this with my wife? Um, because I'm the head. Now, that, that's total nonsense. Um, the, the, the leadership is not, well, it's not dictatorship. You'd be a foolish husband um, if you try to, to run your marriage, whatever that might mean, without, well, without talking with your wife. So it's a loving leadership that is about the other, the other person, whoever it is you might be leading. Uh, what about the word lead? Adam was clearly the leader of marriage, the marriage. He was leader of the church at the time, very small church, leader of all humanity, in fact. Uh, and at the time, all those things were the same thing. So Eve was the sum total of the church. Um, Eve was his wife. Eve was the entire rest of humanity. But from those, that, that pattern, we've seen church leaders are therefore male, although obviously not all men are church leaders. And that is because the church is the household of God, as Paul describes it in 1 Timothy. So if households are led by fathers, um, you'd expect the big household to be led by fathers too. Okay, it would be very strange if in the, if like in the world of grace, the kingdom of grace, nature went out the door. Okay, the way God had created us just went out the door. No, that's, God has created um, men to lead families. And so when the families all join together into a, a big meta family, well, the same pattern stays um, so church leaders are therefore male uh, husbands are meant to, meant to lead marriages we've just said not a dictatorship but it is initiative taking uh, if you're a husband who is taking the lead in making sure um, you're on time for church making sure you're praying together making sure you've got an eye on kind of um, how you might serve together as a family who, um, it, a husband is meant to be Possibly taking the lead there, and one of the things you see very commonly in churches actually is that is that the kind of like the man focuses on his job, you know, I'm working, I'm off to the office or the building site, whatever it may be, and I'm going to leave the spiritual stuff to the to my wife, you know, she can do that, um, and that, that is a, that is an unhealthy pattern. Um, leading also, I think, means taking responsibility for decisions. Um, rather, this is in the context of marriage again, rather than either kind of keeping quiet and waiting for, for your wife to de facto decide or manipulating her into deciding, well, tell me what you want. Uh, and then when she eventually does and you go with that and perhaps it doesn't work out, well, it's what you wanted, isn't it? You know, that kind of, it, it, that's just manipulative leadership. 
Um, rather, you take responsibility. Again, it doesn't mean the husband takes every decision in some sort of unilateral dictator format. Okay, obviously you're talking and you're trying to think, okay, what's best? But ultimately, leadership is, is about taking responsibility. And it's, it's, it's the opposite of passivity. Um, and I do think this, this if, you, if you think about sort of patterns and that, you know, we're all in families and that the husband's meant to lead the family, all the rest of it. Um, th- th- there should be a sort of a, a front footness about, um, if you're a man, there should be a sort of front footness. You come to the prayer meeting and it's not a kind of shrinking back, oh, I'm just going to let other people... Um, okay, I'm going to get on and pray. It's interesting, you know, one, two, three, two. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. They say, don't you want women to pray poorly? It's like, like, of course he wants women to pray. He's not saying only men can pray. But it's interesting, you know, I, I want men everywhere to hold up holy hands in prayer. For some reason, it seems like the men, perhaps the men need the kicking to do it. I don't know. Um, but, but get on and lead with it. And that leadership is taking responsibility back to the family sphere. Uh, means taking responsibility for what goes on. So everything in, in the, that happens in the family or the marriage is the husband's responsibility. Now, it's not all his fault. Okay? It's, not, it's not saying that your children can't sin and wives can't sin. And, um, but it is your responsibility if you're the husband because you're meant to be caring for that household. Think about Joe praying every morning. He gets up. Remember, he sacrifices not just for himself but for his, for his family, for his kids. Okay? That, that is a healthy attitude, I think. Um, it's never a case of a husband being able to go to God and saying, well, her problems, look at her problems. Um, it's always ours. Okay, it's, it's a corporate responsibility. A um, couple of caveats, because it's just so easy to get misheard on this. This is, I hope it's obvious, this is 